lot of descriptives and some descriptions of, of what it means to be a fool and warnings about foolish living. As a matter of fact, it's Psalms 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Isn't it amazing how intellectual the atheist tries to pull themselves off to be that, hey, we're so smart. We, we don't believe in that superstition. There is, the Bible says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Proverbs 10 says, whoever slant, spreads slander is a fool. Better be careful what you say. Proverbs 10 says, a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct. Proverbs 13 says, fools detest turning from evil. Proverbs 14 says, fools mock at making amends for sin. Proverbs 18 says, a fool's lips bring him strife, and his mouth invites him a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing. Proverbs 26 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. That's not just folly, that's insanity, isn't it? Doing the same, doing the same mistake over and over, you know? Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts in himself is a fool. You know, the Bible gives us this, this list of warnings in regards to what a fool looks like and warnings against foolish living, except for one exception. We're going to be looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. And in the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul is defending his, his apostolic authority, his position as an apostle, the Corinthians, they uh, have these very eloquent speakers and teachers that they are partial to. And Paul is not only defending himself, he's actually defending all the apostles. As a matter of fact, he kind of approaches them in a very stern way where he's going, oh, you think you're so wise. Oh, you think you're so smart. And he refers to himself, he says, oh, yes, we are fools for Christ. How many people would like to be known as a fool for Christ? Amen? I want to be a fool for Christ. You see, the Corinthian church, we're going to, in, in the, the very first three chapters, Paul does a lot of comparisons between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And the Corinthian church thought that they were so wise, they thought that they were so smart, but yet they were very foolish and how they were living, as a matter of fact, they were kind of the proverbial Las Vegas of the day. They were the sin city of the time of the first century church. And they thought that they were just so, oh, we were just so smart and we're just so wise. But Paul says, the fact is, is you're very carnal. As a matter of fact, he said, instead of impacting the culture around them like the church at Ephesus did, if you ever read about Ephesus, Paul created such a revolution there because the city's income was created off the building of idols that Paul was getting beat up because they were going, they're putting our idol business out of, out of they're putting our idol building business out of work. And there was a revolution in Ephesus, but yet the Corinthian church was different because they were bringing the culture around them into the church. And Paul said, you're carnal. You're living like mere men. You're living like people that don't have the Spirit of God. You know, if we look out into the world today, it's much to my chagrin 
that it seems pretty evident that we are, too, are living in a time of increasing foolishness. Would you agree? But yet, the funny thing is about it is we think we are becoming so advanced and so fashionable and so chic and so intelligent and so much more evolved and so progressive. I watched uh, part of the, uh, the Grammy Awards. I don't know how many people, did you see any of the Grammy Awards this year? You know, and the, the shocking thing about it is the Grammys actually used to be about music. It was about, you know, if you did this kind of music the best, you got this award. And besides the very clear satanic and pagan overtones of this, this ceremony that we saw, there was this kind of this elitist spirit of, look how far we've come. Look how advanced we are. Look how, how we have evolved and how, how far that we have progressed. When in reality, we see our culture not progressing, but regressing. When we were in our study on the book of Daniel on Wednesdays, if you were with us, you probably noted that said that throughout history, how man sees himself, man sees himself becoming more advanced, becoming more glorious. Is that how God sees us? Do you think God sees us as progressing? No, actually, God's perspective is exactly the opposite. See, we need to remember that mankind was originally perfectly and wonderfully made. Wouldn't you agree? Right? According to Scripture, mankind was, was perfectly and wonderfully made. And if you look at Daniel's vision and you see, talks about these kingdoms going from not progressing to a better state, but going from gold to silver to bronze to steel and then to clay. God's perspective on the, the history of mankind is that man is not becoming better. He is digress. He is not progressing, but he is regressing. And that's the truth. We're not getting better because we have digressed from God being the center of all things to man being the center of all things. You know, God is trying to restore Eden, yet man thinks he can build utopia. Man thinks, well, if we can just get God out of the picture... We can buy the world a Coke and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and make this utopia where nothing is wrong. We don't need a tree in the middle. We can make nothing a sin, and we can make this utopia. When history shows itself time and time again, man left to his own devices will destroy himself. And we are living in a time that says if we can just get God out of it, we can handle this world. We can, we can make the world a better place. Anybody see this around us in these days, in these times? And it's progressing at such an incredible rate. And if we just look throughout history at the decline and the eventual demise of any great civilization, whether it's the Romans or the Greeks or the Mayans or, or whatever, or the Babylonians or the Assyrians, whatever great civilization that their demise is always due to both the social and the moral decline of that society. We need God more than ever. Amen, church? People need God more than ever. 
And if we are going to be fools for Christ, you know, they used to have this term, the moral majority. There's not a moral majority anymore. There's a moral minority. And people that are truly passionate for Christ, sold out to Christ, are considered to be fools. They're considered to be radicals. They're considered to be unfashionable. As a matter of fact, we're beginning to be seen as the enemy. I want to be a fool for Christ. I'm going to continue to be a fool for Christ. And if we're going to be fools for Christ, we need to see the foolishness of the world for what it truly is. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18, because there's a lot that happened in the, in the Corinthian church that parallels the church today, a lot that's happening in the Corinthian culture. As a matter of fact, um, uh, there's, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. But there's a lot that parallels that we see in the Corinthian culture that we see happening today. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 20, it says, Do not deceive yourselves, for if anyone thinks he is wise by the, excuse me, by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he might become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosophers of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The Bible is very clear that the standards of this age and the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. It's antithetical to the truth of God. And as a culture, we are so preoccupied, even a church culture, we're so preoccupied with keeping up with the latest fashions and being on the cutting edge of everything and just the most recent trends. And, and you know, the church is so intent on becoming culturally relevant that this is why I honestly believe that you, the church doesn't look any different than the world so often anymore. And should we look different? Should we? We should look a little bit different than what we see in the world. And this is because we are still living according to the same reasoning. This is what I've talked about over there. If we want to be transformed, there has to be a renewing of our mind. We need to begin to see things differently. We need to have a new system of truth. We need to have a new perspective on life, and that's God's perspective on life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to know truth, we need to know Jesus Christ. Amen? If we want to know truth, we need to know the Word of God. Amen? Because there is no truth. There is no life outside of Christ. And as believers, you see, we often forget. We live very pragmatically. We live very practically. We look at the world. We look at situations. We look at our surroundings. And, and sometimes we, we fail to keep focused on God's truth, and we look at how it, re, how it reasons to us. And, you know, we forget that the world system in which we live in is fallen. We have fallen from grace. We were once perfect with God. We had perfect communion with God. We had full God consciousness. We, weren't even, we didn't have to wear clothes because we weren't conscious of ourselves. We were fully in harmony with God, and we have fallen from that state of grace. 
And we are continuing to fall. And we need to understand as we look out into the world that that is a fallen system. That is not the way to truth. That is not the way to life. And part of what Christ wants to do is he wants to reveal to us the foolishness of this world in this present age. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 4, we've taught on this before, when Jesus begins, there's a discourse of sermons uh, one of them being the, 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 the parable of the sower, the parable of the light, the parable of the garden, all these. these and, and it says that he takes his disciples, and in Mark chapter 4 it says, when he was alone with the 12 and the others, asked him about the parables, he told him, he said, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Or the mysteries of the kingdom have been made known to you. If Jesus came to you and you said, Jesus, I don't understand. He says, you know what? The mysteries of the kingdom are being given to you. Do you think you'd feel a little special about that? Would you? He's like, I, and the, the interesting thing is that word secret or mysteries actually is defined as, to, it means to reveal truth, but it also means to uncover the illusion. Ever watch the magic shows where they actually show you how they do the trick? Anybody ever seen those shows? You know, it's like not, not only are you seeing the truth of that, but you're also the illusion is being uncovered. So what's happening is you're not only learning the truth about it, you're also learning what the trick is. Are you following me? This is what that word means when Jesus said, the mysteries of the kingdom are being revealed to you. We're not only seeing the truth is being revealed to us, but also our eyes are supposed to be opening to the trick, to the illusions that we live under in this world. What do I have to have to be safe, to have security, to be significant? What does it mean to have meaning in my life? Jesus said, I've got to reveal the illusions of everything that you banked on, and I've got to begin to show those things to you so that you can follow me. Because part of being a fool for Christ is beginning to see the foolishness of the world for what it really is and beginning to receive God's truth by faith. I've often said this, that the road to death looks like life and the road to life looks like death. But Jesus is still offering life. You know, and... There's times when I've preached, I was just having a discussion with someone, there's times when I preach where I talk about sin, and this is probably my fault, where I fail to remind people that God's got something better for you. It's not, it's not just about saying no to or not breaking the rule that makes God mad. It's coming into an understanding God's got something better for you than doing it your own way. Anybody with me? I remember... I remember when I was in Chicago, and it was amazing because everything I worked for in my life, the money, the fame, rubbing shoulders with the celebrities, the drugs, the women, everything, everything that I worked for in my life, I attained. I remember it's like the words of Solomon saying, I, designed my, I, I denied myself no fleshly pleasure. But I remember just one incident one night where I was with some celebrities and some friends, and I remember something clicked in my mind. 
And I remember looking around and I said, my father's got something better for me than this. I know this is what I wanted. I wanted the money. I wanted the fame. I wanted to be able to do, I wanted to never have to set an alarm clock. Didn't have to set, wouldn't that be great to live life and never have to set an alarm clock? I had the apartment on Miami Beach. I had the apartment in downtown Chicago with the same. I had, I had all this, and I said, my father's, this is not God's will for me. And God's got something better. So please hear my heart. When we talk about sin and letting go of sin, understand it's not just about getting, it's about receiving something better into your life. Because God wants to bless you. It's in his nature to bless his children. Amen? He loves us too much not to bless us with his best. And we need to begin to see the foolishness of the world that says, hey, this is how you do life. This is what life is really about. Because the Bible says, you know what? That, that, the, the foolishness, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. The foolishness of the world is foolishness to God. Look what it says in Colossians 2.8. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Don't let anybody fool you. Don't be deceived. Don't buy into the lie. Don't buy into the illusion. And part of the ministry of the Spirit is to begin to open our eyes to see the foolishness of the world. And it's also for us to begin to see the foolishness of God's wisdom. If you've got your Bibles open, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 2. And I'm moving quickly. We have a big passage of Scripture here I want you to read. This is one of my favorite passages of, uh, in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. Because Jesus said, when I'm going to, he said, it's good that I leave because if I don't leave, you can't have the Holy Spirit. He said, but if I will leave, God will send another one to you, another advocate. And he is going to lead you into all truth. God has not left us out there on our own just to flounder and figure it out for ourselves. I remember Shantae telling me about it because she had no Christian influence when she was growing up. She was a teenager. She was just bouncing on. Remember, you were just, I was just trying whatever. I just tried whatever. We have been given the Holy Spirit that we don't have to, that we, he is there living in us to lead us into all truth. And look what it says here in 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. We, however, speak a message of wisdom from among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Let me, th- let me tell you, folks, when you look at MTV and you see the Jay-Zs and the Beyonce's and you see the Yachts and San Martin and the Crystal and all, all this stuff, all that stuff's coming to destruction, folks. That's nothing to be envious of. You hear me? It's nothing to be envious of. The psalmist wrote about that. I looked at the wicked and I almost slipped because I began to envy them. But then I realized what their, dem- what their, their indestruction was going to be. It says, the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God designed for our glory before time began. God's got wisdom that only certain people are going to understand it. 
Does that make you feel special? When you know God's will and you know it's right? There's, that's, that didn't come from your own reasoning. Look what it says. That we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, that God has designed for our glory from before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However it is written, and he refers to the first covenant, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those that love him. That's the Old Testament, but he goes on to say, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. We live in a new covenant. We follow in the new way of the Spirit, and God's truth is revealed to us by his Spirit. Look what it says. It goes on and says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Do you want to know what God pleases God? Do you want to know what God hates? Do you want to know what God loves? The Holy Spirit will bear witness to that. Don't take my word on it. Let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. It says, for whom... For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And we have not received the spirit of the world. This is why I say, listen, Christians, if you've received the spirit of God, we shouldn't be living our lives by the spirit of the world. Amen? Because we've been given a different spirit, a spirit that's going to lead us into what truth and life and love is really about. For we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Our eyes have to be open to what God is trying to bless you with. He's inviting you into more life. He's not saying, don't do this, don't do that. And if I have preached in that form, forgive me because I want you to know God's got better for you than what you can provide for yourselves. It says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us, and this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And it says, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You can't walk out your Christian walk in pragmatism. Well, the way I see it, the way I figure things, the way I look at it, that, that does not matter. You cannot live according to your own reasoning and follow Christ. I'm not saying you check your mind at the door. I'm saying the mind has to be renewed. But the Christianity is the great dichotomy because there's a lot of things in Christianity that at first glance, they don't make sense. Would you agree? I mean, think of Jesus' teaching. It's all so radical. It's, it's totally the opposite of the way that I think. Yeah, that's part of uncovering the illusions. You know, if you want to be first, what do you got to do? Just be the last. You want to be the greatest? Be the least. Want a high ranking in the kingdom? Learn to serve. Do you really want to receive? What do you got to do? Give. A closed hand can't, closed hand can't receive anything. 
What if someone wants your shirt? What's the Bible tell us to do? Give them your hair. Take the coat too. And the pants and the socks. Have a full suit. I want you to forgive people that have offended you. As a matter of fact, I want you to overcome evil by doing what? That word overcome doesn't mean I want you to get past it. It, it is a, it's a military term, meaning I want you to conquer evil by doing good. By doing good to the person that did evil to you. Does that make sense all the time? That sounds foolishness to someone that doesn't have the spirit. Amen? But it says these truths, if we'll listen to the spirit, these truths are only spiritually discerned. We can't live according to our own reason. We can't live. We haven't been called to live according to the foolishness of the world. We've been calling to live according to the foolishness of God's wisdom. Pray for those who persecute you. Have you ever prayed for an enemy? God, I just pray. I just pray that you... Yeah, I'm going to heap burning coals on their head, Father God. I like that one. Yeah, that's what it means. Have you ever prayed for God to bless your enemy? That's a hard prayer to pray. It's hard. And the list goes on and on. All these illogical things that make up the foolishness of God's wisdom. But God tells us that man's ways are not God's ways. Amen? And there's nothing in our flesh or in our culture that is going to encourage us to embrace the foolishness of God in our lives. Because if we're going to embrace the foolishness of God's wisdom, do you understand the Christian walk is going to be countercultural now? It is. If you're going to follow Christ, you might as well, you might as well be ready. It's like going to be like going the up, the down escalator. It's just where we are as a culture. You ever gone up the down escalator? It's, a work, it's kind of a workout sometimes, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you that God's will is also going to insult your intellect at times. It's not going to be how you figure things. It's going to violate your emotions at time when God says, I want you to forgive that person that violated you. Ever had the Spirit talk to you that way? I want you to forgive. Proverbs 28 26 says, the, the full passage of, you know, uh, of this scripture says, He who trusts in himself is a fool. You know, I know some people that don't trust anybody but themselves. And the Bible says that's a fool. And they're so proud. I pulled myself up my own bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. I'm the master of my destiny. Do you hear those words? Foolishness. Sounds good. Sounds good to the natural mind, but it's foolishness. And it's foolishness in God's eyes. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. It's only by trusting in the person of God and by faith in his word and by the leading of his spirit will we embrace the foolishness of God's wisdom. So if we're going to truly be fools for Christ, we need to eradicate the foolishness of the world. We need to accept the foolishness of his wisdom. But it begins with embracing the foolishness of the cross. 
And I want you to think about this today as we participate in the Lord's Supper today. If you have your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says these words. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And once again, he asks the question, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the, wis- for since in the wisdom of, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, and God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those to save those who believe. Jews demanded a sign. Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called. Is God calling you today? Is God speaking to your heart right now? But to those God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, both the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We have to think about this contextually. I mean, think about if the symbol of our religion was an electric chair in this day and age. We would go, that's crazy. What do you mean this, this is the way to life? An electric chair? This is what they saw, you know, when, they, when, they, when they, they, they heard this message of Christ and the cross, it said it was foolishness to the Jew because they were expecting this big military leader that was going to come and defeat the enemy and do miracles and signs and wonders, and it was foolishness to the Greeks because they said only the worst of criminals die on a cross. But yet God in his infinite wisdom used what would confound and confuse those that would consider them wise in this age. I love what it says here. It says Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's, he's dealing with both groups because if you, if you remember a John when it said that Christ in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. It was a Greek word, logos. And to the Jew, the Word, the Word was the authority and the power of God. By God created the Word, God created the world by His Word. To the Jew, it was the authority and the power of God. To the Greek, the Logos is what held everything together. This is what makes everything work. And He's He's dealing with both of these. He's breaking down both of these. He's saying that Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God that all things were created by him and for him and through him, and he is the one that holds all things together. When you think your life is falling apart, remember that Christ is still holding all things together. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many of you influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
and he chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Underline this in your Bible. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. And therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Verse 30, it says, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he became sin, that you might be the righteousness of God. Our holiness. Other translations said that he has become our sanctification that makes it possible to grow in his grace and our redemption that we have been delivered from the authority of Satan, of our flesh, of sin, of hell, of death, of the grave. You know, the foolish, the cross is foolishness to many still today. They laugh at it. They laugh at us. A few months ago, there was a special with Billy Graham was on Fox News. I don't know if you saw it. Anybody see that besides me? And I remember he said this quote, and I wrote it down. It said, the gospel of Christ and him crucified is still foolishness to millions who are perishing all over the world today. How few people recognize that the answer to all the world's problems can be found at the foot of the cross. And to the one that's just foolish enough to believe in his message, you can have eternal life. To the one that's just foolish enough to obey his wisdom, he can transform your life. He can change you. To the one that is just so simple-minded that you're able to receive all that he has to offer you, you can be called a child of God. Amen, brother. To some, the cross means nothing. To others, it's foolishness. And while it's foolishness to many, the cross throughout the last 2,000 years has transformed millions of lives. I stand as a testimony of that. Is there any other testimonies in here of transformed lives? See the hands. Put them up. I think if we're going to boast about something, let's not boast about our accomplishment. Maybe we should boast about that we're in Christ, and he did it, not me. Because it was because of him that we're in him today. God's foolishness is still wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is still stronger than human strength. And it's still the only power under salvation and redemption that is given to mankind. And it's God's highest expression of love towards us. I've said it before, I'll say it again. 
It is the cross and the cross alone that should remove any doubt that God loves you and that God is for you. And in the midst of a hurting world, a lot of times that we forget that. And today, I want us to remember it. As our ushers are coming forward, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together. And every time we do this, I want this to be especially.